Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast, where we explore all things related to motherhood, from career and relationships to parenting and wellness. Join me, Nina Spears, your baby expert and host, as we dive into topics that matter to mothers, share personal stories and insights, and interview experts and parents who can provide valuable advice and perspectives. Whether you're a first-time mom just starting out or a seasoned pro, we've got you covered. So grab a cup of tea, sit back, and let's Chick Chat. Hey guys, welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host, and today we have Deborah Pascali Bonaro here to Chick Chat with us. Deborah is a world-renowned inspirational speaker, podcaster, filmmaker, doula trainer, childbirth educator, and author. Deborah brings together her passion for pleasure in every aspect of her life with her Jersey girl attitude of talking about what no one is talking about. Deborah is a mother, grandmother, and featured expert in parenting journals and media around the world. She's passionate about changing childbirth so that every woman and partner has a safe, respectful, and pleasurable birth. Today, we're chatting with Deborah about orgasmic birth. We'll learn about orgasmic birth and discuss tips and secrets to create more love and intimacy in both birth and parenting. Let's chit chat and learn more. Deborah, I am so pumped to have you here today with us. I just know that this is going to be an amazing episode, so juicy, but filled with amazing information. I just am so grateful for your time. Thank you for joining us and being here. Thank you so much, Nina. I was so excited. It is such a pleasure to be here to talk all about things pleasurable. So I know we're going to have a great time together. Most people do not put pleasurable and birth in the same sentence. So I cannot wait to get into this. But before we do, for our listeners, we always like to learn a little bit more about our guests. I was going to say, Deborah, do you mind telling us a little bit about you and your background and how you ended up to where you are today? First of all, I always love to say I'm a mother. So that was a big part of getting here. And now I'm a grandma too. But what really started me on this journey was as a little girl, I loved to hear birth stories. And I got to be with my great-grandmother when I was little. And at that time, she had eight children at home. And she told me these joyful, powerful, challenging, but truly blissful and pleasurable birth stories. And I kind of then started asking everybody their story in my family. And I really started hearing the difference when birth moved to the hospital and I was the first baby in my entire family born in the hospital. And as a little girl, I was kind of like, why did everybody else get to be born at home and not me? So it really set me on a quest to get a lot of information. And when we fast forward and I was ready to have my first baby, I had a lot of questions because I was looking at the landscape of birth and I had stories that my great-grandmother never used the word pain. She really talked about moving and water and joy and support. And so, like, I started realizing that I wasn't getting offered what she had. And so I really pressed through to, like, find the right caregivers and create really what I wanted through the stories I had in my family. And I realized shortly after that that lots of people don't have those stories, Sometimes the stories they're inheriting are of pain and fear and sadly trauma. So I became a childbirth educator and thought I want to pass along the good stories and let people know that there's a lot more possible in birth that's been kind of stripped and sterilized away. And before you know it, I was attending births with them and became a doula before I knew it. And I started realizing that there was so much more joy available for everyone. And that really set me on a path to say, 
we're not talking about all that's possible in birth, and we're not preparing people for the full possibilities. And that really led me to dedicate a lot of what I do to pleasure, including uh, creating the documentary Orgasmic Birth and really dedicating a lot of time to teaching not only parents, but providers who also don't get educated in how we can access joy and pleasure in childbirth and beyond. What an amazing introduction, Deborah! Round of applause. It's so beautiful. You have gone through so much, and I love how it really originated to even childhood. It's like you almost knew. It's like this calling that you had from a child saying, I need to get into this field and I need to help mothers. Totally. When I look back now, I often say to people, because people think like I planned it out, right? And I was like, no, none of this was planned. Uh, truly like divine intervention. I was called to it and each thing kind of led to the next, but each confirmed more and more that, you know, there's so much more that we can do. And that's where I really went putting together both the science with the stories and learning that we can do a lot that most people don't know about. Something I will say, you know, childbirth and sex can be, you know, taboo subjects for normal people. Uh, for you and I, that's probably a little bit more normal in the birthing world. But why do you think this is and how can we change this narrative? I think that's so important, Nina, because I feel like both subjects, as you said, are taboo. So we definitely put it together and there's like an explosion of feelings that come from culture, from religion, from a history where birth became medicalized. And I always like to say we benefit from medicine. I think we need it. It can save lives. But the overuse of medicine and the sterilizing away the emotional, the sensuous, and the sexual, I think has done a lot of harm. So what we have to think about is for most people, we equate our sexuality to kind of the vagina, the clitoris, the labia for all those that identify with those parts as women. Um, and then when you think about giving birth, you know, the baby's coming through the cervix, the vagina, touching the G-spot, into the labia, into the clitoral complex. And it's almost bizarre that we have never put that together and said what is created there is going to also be impacted in birth and we're going to feel sensations and there are ways that we could prepare to enhance that. And I do want to add there too for anyone listening that's a survivor of sexual abuse, this is super important. And as you listen today, I hope everyone creates safety for themselves as they listen but so important that 20 to 30% of people giving birth can have past traumas or are survivors. And so it's another reason why not having this conversation can be harmful because we're not giving people a time to heal, a time to prepare in a way that will keep them safe in the process of birth so that they can be cared for in the way they desire. I also feel that in general, we don't have a lot of knowledge about birth. You know, a lot of people think they know a lot. And we've actually done surveys where we've asked people to take quizzes of what they know about birth. And they kind of self-assess that, do you have all the information you need to give birth? And they're like, yes. And then the questions go on. And what becomes clear is people don't know what they don't know. And a lot of people go into childbirth with a true gap in knowledge of being able to be fully informed to participate in decisions. But that's somewhat similar to sexuality. Think about it. Like, did you have good sexual education in school? No, not at all. <laughs> it was like the basics and terrible. <laughs> Right. And were you blessed by your parents giving you really good, thorough knowledge? Oh, I wish, but no. <laughs> Neither. Neither of those. That's us. When I give talks, that's like probably 90% of the people. So those listening, if you're going, yeah, me either. So like here are two subjects that like we haven't been educated either formally about or, you know, in family in a lot of ways. And so sometimes that brings up fear, right? What we don't know, we often put out of sight, out of mind. And I think that 
you know, whether you're considering a pregnancy or you are pregnant, it's such an opportunity because when we expand our sexuality, heal and expand in pregnancy and honor that we're bringing this to birth and have the full knowledge of the ways we can use that in childbirth and other things. Oh my goodness, just like the difference between great sex and okay sex, and we all have probably had an experience that wasn't great at all, right? That's really available to you in birth. And like you have to choose where on that spectrum you want. But if we can address those taboos, if we can really ask where do they come from, how can we feel safe to explore these two subjects together? Oh my goodness, magic happens. Thank you for paving the way, starting these conversations, breaking this taboo, for women and just people in general to have these conversations. This is just really amazing. And your passion is just palpable, Deborah. I absolutely love this. And I was going to ask you to elaborate more on the connection between childbirth and sex, but you definitely did part of that talking about, you know, as a baby is born, hitting those different parts of a woman's uh, body, you know, the cervix, the vagina, the labia, all of that kind of stuff. Is there anything that you would like to add to that with the connection between childbirth and sex? So first of all, and thank you, it's the physiology. Like we said, the parts are the same, right? And we all can identify that. But there's also a hormonal process. And so if you can think of like a night or maybe you want to plan a special night with your partner coming up and you're kind of setting the stage for great sex, it often involves like making sure you feel safe, you have privacy, you might even be dimming lights and have certain smells and a genre of music. And you get yourself into this place that you're allowing yourself to kind of get out of the thinking mind, right? Let those to-dos go and just get fully into your body and your body starts producing hormones. One of the main ones is oxytocin. We call it the hormone of love, connection. And that's the same hormone that we have to produce in childbirth, but it has to be produced at the highest level ever in your life. And the interesting thing about our hormones is that they don't differentiate that today's sex, this is birth, and in order to have great sex, I need to be private, I can't have three strangers in the room, I can't have, you know, bright lights and a music genre that I hate. We then get into birth and people just assume, well, I'll go to the hospital, there are all people coming in, they may be beep, 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 and and I'm going to make these hormones. No, your body says, wait, 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 I need the same environment, the same conditions. So like I always say, and everyone listening, plan your birth as you're planning great sex because your hormones are shy. And what's really important to know, and this is true in sex too, if you've ever been in the middle of being intimate and all of a sudden a phone rings or maybe something comes up and in your mind you get like a little stressed, when you are afraid, when you don't feel safe, when your mind gets engaged, so you're thinking of something else, you're going to not feel the intimacy and the juiciness and certainly not going to have an orgasm. And in birth, a lot of people don't realize particularly fear and not feeling safe is going to create a longer, harder labor. So by disassociating birth to sex and not understanding how the hormones flow, how the body works, and I just want to add in there, like most people don't even fully understand the clitoral complex. And how could it be that the clitoris is for pleasure, for sure? I hope you're all enjoying that aspect of it. But how could it not play a role in childbirth? Why would the body have an organ that like only works this one day for pleasure when you're having good sex and then it just completely turns off when you're in labor? No. So between the physiology and the hormones, there's a lot of similarity. We often say, you know, the right place to make love is very similar to the easiest way to give birth. When you put those together, it probably giving a lot of people a lot to ponder of why we have so many long, difficult labors that we end up with so many more interventions 
because the medical system also has not put this together. And instead of asking the question, how could we create a safe and intimate environment for each person to birth in so that their own body and baby can navigate this and give birth with joy and pleasure, we kind of put you in a medical environment that from one level, really, we know slows, stops, prolongs labor and actually increases pain. So I don't see this as something that like is nice to get into the conversation. I think by not getting into the conversation, we're having a lot more difficult births. I so appreciate you bringing this up because I will I will actually tell my clients, I say, you know, when you're at home and you're laboring and you're feeling like, okay, we've gotten to the point where it's time to head to the hospital, I say, do not be surprised if it stalls for an hour or two because your mental shift and how you feel safe and the recognizable smells and sights are no longer there and your body has to adapt to this new change. And so for you validating that and saying, yes, your hormones are going to change from one place to another, the place where you feel safest, like you said, to make love and then changing it to a place you've probably never been before, to people you've never seen or met before, maybe just your doctor who will only peek in like two times, if that, you know? <laughs> and I'm just so glad that you're you're bringing this up because these are things that people do not think about. And they just think, oh, I'll go into labor, I'll go to the hospital, and then soon after, I'll push and have a baby, you know? It's so true, right? I think that we've set people up, and, you know, television has done this, too, of, like, you go into labor, right? Get to that hospital, and certainly there's a time and place for that. But we really do need to help people to understand how they can create that safety and privacy in any environment and how can they turn on to labor, right? So I want to add in here that things like kissing and eye contact, I tell all my clients to have at least 10 ways to get your oxytocin going in any situation. And of course, feeling private and safe are essential first. But what are the ways and partners? Oh my goodness, partners, you better know how to turn her on. Your to-do list is what are the turn-ons that you can do from loving words to looking her in the eye to touch. But also, there's a lot of ways to get people juicy in labor, um, including I have a lot of clients masturbating and even using vibrators because pain and pleasure travel on similar pathways. So people that are really stimulating oxytocin and moving into their pleasure are going to feel more comfort, less pain. I think it shocks people when they find out that back in the day, before there was like induction processes that the doctor would do clitoral stimulation with a vibrator to help stimulate labor. And I'm like, yes, there's actually <laughs> a reason why we say, hey, you want labor to start? Go have sex with your partner. <laughs> totally. Or yourself, right? I always say if you don't have a partner. Everybody can take this into their own hands. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Deborah. Okay. So when I talk about orgasmic birth with people, I would love to hear from you, the the OG of this. Like, what is orgasmic birth? And is it real? A really important question. And one thing I always like to say is everybody should write their own definition of orgasmic birth, because I don't want to put on anyone a kind of performance standard for birth. Birth is amazing on its own. We never know what I'll ask of you, right? It's a journey of two people. I always love it when people say, I'm writing my birth plan, and I'm like, and where does the baby fit in that? Did you ask them what they want, too? Because sometimes we know when we have children, we ask them to do one thing, and they do the opposite. And babies in labor sometimes have their own path for their own safety and well-being. Definitely, I always say, define it for yourself. But my definition, and I wrote a book, Orgasmic Birth, with a dear friend, midwife Elizabeth Davis and I, we decided the definition needs to be broad enough to include those people that have the waves, the expansions of orgasm in labor and birth. And we kind of call that a birthgasm. And you'd be shocked how many people have them. I've been approached by thousands and thousands of people all over the world from every culture, every background. And I will tell you, the vast majority share a common thread. They never told anyone. They never told their partner. 
They never told their best friend. They certainly didn't tap their doctor or midwife on the shoulder and say, guess what I just had? And so when you ask doctors and midwives how common is a birthgasm, they'll tell you it never happened. And meanwhile, I've been in places where women have said, doctor, you were my doctor and I had the biggest orgasm of my life. But why do you think I tell you? I call it the best kept secret. And part of orgasmic birth is to remove the shame because women that have that orgasm often don't want to tell anyone because they don't want to make anyone feel bad. And they themselves have shame when all they've been told is birth is painful, that they may have had pain. It's not to say you don't at other times, but in this moment, they have often described it as the most expansive orgasm of their life. But again, I don't want a performance standard where people put on a birth plan, I need an orgasm to have an orgasmic birth. So for me, and we wrote this, it's for anyone that has moments of joy, of connection, that feels love, bliss, ecstasy, whatever your words are at the time, and also really births where and with whom and in your power. I love to say that there's great power in birth. You discover power in yourself if you're the one giving birth that often you didn't know you had. But too often in a medical system, when people are put down both physically and emotionally, they don't access that power. It's taken from them by the system, and they trust the system rather than their own body and baby in the process. So orgasmic birth is really to stand in that power. Um, and to give birth in your way and have that expression of love, pleasure, and joy. But it does not mean it's devoid of challenge or pain because we can hold all of that. And an orgasmic birth can happen. People always ask, is it only at home? It can happen in any setting and any you know situation. But I do find that they're more prevalent in birth centers and home birth with midwives, where they're working with caregivers that are truly supporting that physiology and understanding how to help those hormones flow. And I'm glad that you brought that up because actually I have a client who, I, I bet I have several clients who have experienced this, but I had I have one client that I'm close with that she actually shared. She goes, no, for both of my babies, Nina, I was her doula, so I was there. She goes, I had an orgasm when my babies were being born. And it was just the most intense, pleasurable feeling. And she's like, is that is that weird? Is that wrong? I was like, no, I'm jealous. Like, that sounds amazing. And she was at the hospital. So it's not just at home. So I'm glad you said that. It's anywhere. And I'm so glad she told you, right? Because a lot of people don't, and that's such an honor that she felt safe to share and that it happens without preparation. I think some people think you have to be doing something, but the physiology is such that it happens more than you think. That's why I wanted to share that story because people who are listening might be thinking, oh, well, Deborah's in this field. She literally <laughs> wrote the book on orgasmic birth. So of course she's going to know all these stories. But I'm a doula here in Texas, and I have heard of women also experiencing this. So it really does happen more than we think. And Deborah, why should pregnant people include intimacy and sexuality in preparing for birth? Well, we have a lot of data that shows that when people are pregnant, right, their body's changing quickly, there's, you know, desires come and go in waves depending how you're feeling. And people that really start connecting to their sexuality and communicating well about it with their partner have much more satisfying overall relationships and overall enjoying sex better because they're communicating, they're exploring, they're expanding, they're learning about their changing body and that. And when people do that in pregnancy and have that education and develop that, whether it's through a childbirth educator, their doula, others that are really supporting them in that, they're, one, they're going to be able to pull that into birth. So we already talked about having a more pleasurable birth with it. But postpartum, right? Oh, my goodness. That's like the highest highs and the lowest lows and the same day and the same hour. And we know that relationships are challenged that first year. Higher rates of disconnect, even divorce in those early days. And so when you use pregnancy as a time 
to really use the changes as a way to communicate and expand sexuality and bring more intimacy to yourself and to your relationship, you're actually developing tools that are going to guide you postpartum to communicate. And again, your body's changing, right? You have this first year of postpartum that's full of emotional and physical changes. And so having that deeper intimacy I think is a gift that we're just not talking enough about that you won't have the time to do it postpartum if you haven't done the work in pregnancy. Pregnancy is the time to really develop that. And look at all the ways. Intimacy is not just intercourse, right? There are just so many ways to be connected um, and to find pleasure on your own and with your partner. It's such a great way to prepare for pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. So thank you for sharing all of that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Speaking of, like, what can women do during pregnancy to help better prepare for a positive birth experience? I have like a couple things that I always start people with. And one is probably from my own journey is find out what your family stories are of birth. If you can even find out your own coming into the world, if you are blessed to have family that still can tell you that story, because I believe a lot of our perceptions about birth come to how we were born. And so if you're finding you have a lot of joy around birth, maybe find your story. Maybe there was joy um, and your mother didn't have a lot of fear in the process. But if you have a lot of fear, if you a lot comes up when you just think about birth, it's really important to find out where that's coming from. And it's always an opportunity to heal. So if your own coming into the world or the family stories were not positive, it's a thing to look at and say, well, what would I want to do different? How can I really heal that story? And I would say, start listening to positive stories. You need to take in the stories of people that have experienced the birth that you're hoping for. And if you know those people or you're listening like today, then find out what are the elements that they did that you want to start preparing so you kind of have the most opportunity to have a similar experience. So I think just really taking in stories, storytelling is just a beautiful lesson in what we want and what we don't want. My second piece of advice is get good information. And again, like I cited the study, don't just think you have good information. Really make sure good class like yours, right? Get into classes that are going to give you information. There's a lot to navigate in childbirth. And so having the option to understand what are the benefits, what are the risks of every option of places of birth, of different caregivers, and then of all the different interventions. And my third tip is interview your caregivers. Like people just assume they go to the first person and like they're my doctor or midwife. But find out, you know, if you want a water birth, how often do they do water births? If you want to birth upright, how often do they birth upright? Because their practice paradigm really sets you up for what you'll get. And I'm sure it's my Italian background, but I always say like, I meet people that are visioning veggie lasagna as an like analogy for their birth. And then they'll tell me where they're giving birth and with whom. And I'm like, do you know you're showing up at a Chinese restaurant? And not that Chinese food might not be good, but you're not going to get anything like veggie lasagna. And birth trauma happens more when people have an expectation that's not met. So knowing your provider's rates of cesarean, how many doulas have they worked with in the last month or two? Because hopefully you're bringing a doula with you, right? Really, knowledge is power in all of this. And of course, I have to add my fourth tip is we birth the way we live a lot. If you don't have a pleasure practice and haven't really learned a lot about sexuality and pleasure, I think that's an essential thing to add to to do 
during your pregnancy. And if you're blessed where you're getting your education and knowledge, they're also really knowledgeable in that area, then you're good. But if they're not, you might seek out other ways that you can heal and learn more about sexuality and really start a pleasure practice every day so that you can bring that pleasure practice to birth. Four amazing tips that I absolutely 100% can get behind. Even when you were saying your first one, I so believe in that, the telling stories, hearing stories, because it's true. Before I got into this field, I thought, oh, I'm going to have my baby in the hospital. I'm going to have an epidural. I'm going to push on my back and have a baby like I've been told that you're supposed to have a baby. And then when I went to my first birth and I started attending birth and saw so many stories and what can happen and the support around, oh my gosh, it just completely shifted the way I thought about birth and how my body can give birth. And I had two beautiful home births that I literally wouldn't have changed for the world. And they were fast births. And I just totally agree when you are empowered with positive stories. That's why I wish I could bring like everyone to a birth with me. Every woman needs to come to birth to really see the beauty and uh, miracle behind it because it really can be something so special. I just have to say those were amazing tips. Thank you so much for, for sharing them. And you did mention this a little bit already about the partner. And I want to know from you, Deborah, what role does a partner play in this enjoyable, pleasurable birth experience? Partners are such a big part, right? First of all, I always like to say to partners, your emotions are contagious. So partners need to do that same exploration of their beliefs, their values, what have they thought about birth. You know, it only takes one person in a room to have fear for that fear to be felt. And so partners, you have your own work to do to kind of clear the pathway of the taboos to, again, broaden your education and information so that you feel calm and confident and ready to be there. But I also, as I said, your role is to love them through labor, like really just keep loving not only, you know, your partner who's giving birth, but that baby. The three of you have this opportunity to keep that oxytocin flowing and flowing. And then partners, be gentle on yourself. There's so much to learn about positions and comfort and techniques. And that's where I always say to partners, don't do it alone. Hide the doula. Have a doula there that can support both of you. And as you know so well, Nina, right? We're not just there for the mom. We're there for the partner as well. And partners that have a doula don't do less they often do way more because there's someone there to support them and remind them of the little things that it's hard to remember everything, you know? It's your birth too. It's why should you have on your shoulders that you have to do everything when you're having your own emotional experience. So make sure you feel supported and nurtured and then you'll do a better job of nurturing your partner and being fully present for birth. That is so true. I cannot tell you how many partners who have said, yes, you were the doula for her, but no, you were the doula for me. Like I wouldn't have known what to do. I wouldn't have known when to hold her hand or when to do counter pressure or when to massage her or when to change the thermostat or when to, they don't know exactly what to do. They've never probably never been to a birth before. So it's so true. Uh, so I'm really glad that you brought that up. And it's also true that you said that they need to think about their process of, of how they think about birth. Because I know I've told this story before in other podcasts, um, but when I told my husband when we were, I think, engaged, when we were like, okay, one day we'll have kids, I said, oh, by the way, I'm going to have home births. And he was like, why do you have to be so weird? And I immediately snapped back and I was like, I'm not weird. You're weird. You're the one that has just been commercialized. You don't understand anything about birth. And luckily, he just trusts me so much. He goes, you're the one that's been in this field longer. You know your body. And for him to really, I've met a lot of couples where the partner just really puts their foot down and says, I don't feel comfortable with this and kind of forces the pregnant mom to maybe make a different choice, which maybe that works for their relationship. But I'm really grateful that my husband was like, you know what? 
I'm going to trust this and learn more. He did all the class. Even though I'm a childbirth educator, I was like, no, we're taking this Bradley class. We're taking this hypnobabies class. We're doing all this stuff. It is very true that they also have to unpack their thoughts and feelings and preconceived notions of what birth is really like. So that was spot on. Kudos to you. And you know, what a great partner that your husband really could honor that and that together you could find that path to feel confidence for both of you. And you brought up doulas, the dad not having to take all of this on his own. I'm so glad you brought that up because that actually leads to my next question. Deborah. how can a doula help facilitate a pleasurable birth experience? Because again, if it's this taboo thing and you're thinking about intimacy, how can bringing in this third person add to this pleasurable birth experience? It does sound like, oh, wait a second, we need a little more privacy than a threesome here. Doulas, right? We are really, and I'm a doula trainer, so I do a lot of work around this. Doulas, we're all helping to create privacy and safety and that birth ambiance, right? Doing little lights and smells and creating the environment. So what doulas do is really get to know you prenatally find out what each individual defines as privacy, safety, how do they want to connect, how do they want to bring their intimacy and love to birth, and how can we support you? And surprisingly, I mean, I've been a doula for more than 30 years. So many people just feel so comfortable with us right there in the room because we've developed the relationship and we're holding that space for them to be loving and nurturing in that. But there are times, too, where, you know, they'll either say to us or we'll say to them, like, do you want a little more privacy? I'll just step out for a few minutes. When I have clients sometimes where labor's slowing, as you mentioned, you get in the hospital, it's slowing down, or maybe even it was going well and someone came in and kind of wanted to start some intervention that they don't really want. Sometimes I'll say to them, well, you know how to get that going on your own, right? Do you want synthetic oxytocin, what we call Pitocin, or would you like a little privacy to kiss and touch and masturbate or who knows what you're doing? And I'll step outside and I'll actually be the doorstop where I can be outside in the hall and say, you know, they're doing some intimate things and are requesting 20 minutes of privacy because otherwise everyone knows in a hospital environment, people just barge in. They don't knock and say, is this a good time? They don't give you the opportunity to feel safe, to be intimate. So doulas, we really are holding that space in multiple ways. And my clients always say like, I probably never would have done that without knowing that you, you know, held that space. You created the environment or even reminded me that, you know, take 20 minutes and you two love on each other in whatever way you determine to do that. So doulas really add. And I think for all the doulas listening, right, we also have to get better in opening up to talk to our clients about how they're going to bring their pleasure, sensuality, and sexuality to birth so that we can hold that space even better. And I even want to take it another step, whereas, yes, we we hold that space for them to have those intimate moments, but also holding space when we see a caregiver coming into the room and we think that they're going to ask a question and maybe she's in her bubble of peace. She's really getting into the groove of labor, really kind of being that first gatekeeper and saying like, hey, partner, come here. If there's someone going to ask her questions, I really let's not disturb her and what she's working so hard and achieving. And so it's still mentally providing that that safe space for them for not only those intimate moments, but just moments when you're experiencing that peace and experiencing getting into that groove into labor. So yes, I, I just love this. This is so good. And Deborah, can you share with us the benefits? What are the benefits of an orgasmic birth? If someone's like, huh, orgasmic birth, I don't know if that's real. They start listening to this podcast. They're like, okay, I guess this is real. But what are the benefits of saying like, okay, this is maybe something that I want to do. What, how will this benefit me? Maybe my baby, my partnership. How, how will this help? 
really important, and we do have a lot of science, so this is not just say so. I always love to take the scientific articles and say an orgasmic birth or a sexy birth is evidence-based. Like, we really do have good science. Starting in 1985, they started to show that when people had higher levels of oxytocin, they feel less pain. Women that actually have orgasm will tell you that there wasn't pain at all during that point, right? We also know that women that have an orgasmic birth, remember in the broad definition, they're part of decision-making. They've really carefully chosen where and how they give birth. Their voice and choice matters. They're really staying in their power. They're much less likely to have a traumatic birth. And right now, traumatic births are on the rise. The over-medicalization of birth is putting people not only at risk physically, and we know that particularly for Black and Brown and Indigenous women and birthing people, but for all. Um, so Standing in that, preparing for birth as an orgasmic birth is much more likely you're going to have a safe, satisfying birth and reflect back on it with great joy and find that inner power that you're going to bring forward into your parenting, into your career, into your community. So many, many ways that an orgasmic birth is really beneficial. So I'm so glad you asked that because people often just think it's a little like something, okay, that would be a little nice, but it really does make a difference. It's your body, your baby, and how you feel about that is going to feel different when you're prepared to fully birth in your body and to be able to have pleasure. And I have to say, I'm with some people, OMG, the pleasure they have is like, off the charts. And I wish even I didn't have all this information when I was birthing and what I would give to kind of go back to my younger self with my first baby and say, I could have rocked it off the charts with just myself being able to move into a different space. I want to also take it back to previously you had mentioned uh, a bit about the postpartum period. I want to know a little bit more about that too. How do you recommend women continue to connect to their intimacy during the postpartum period? I know that that can sound a little scary for some women because there's like, oh, don't touch me. I don't want to even be looked at during, you know, postpartum. So let's rephrase that or reframe that thought of intimacy for postpartum and talk about how we can connect with it more. So important because, yeah, I mean, at least for several weeks and for some people, several months, intercourse is really not a desire. The body's changing depending on what, you know, your birth asked of you and your own healing journey. But that doesn't mean you don't want to be loved and you don't want intimacy. So I really encourage people to kind of create their own list of connection and pleasure. And I love the love languages, right? Really asking people in pregnancy to read the book, The Five Love Languages, um, to take the test and know how do you like to give and receive love to each other. And make a point every day, whether it's words or touch or some way of being able to connect. And I know with the newborn, like you don't have an hour, you may have three minutes in passing, or maybe it's why you're changing a diaper or feeding the baby. But having that, whatever it is for each of you to stay connected and to honor your feelings. Communication is so important. Not just saying, you know, I don't want sex. Um, that can, especially for some partners, feel like a rejection. But to be able to communicate, my body's just not feeling there yet, but I love you so much. And can we find other ways of showing our love and keeping our love really intimate and alive? So I think postpartum preparing for it, where both partners are kind of writing down what they need during that time, what are their cues that they're going to need to feel periodically to keep that intimacy is so important. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Uh, and now that we're getting towards the end of all of my questions, I literally could probably talk to you for hours and hours, though. I'm such a birth geek. What resources would you recommend for women looking to learn more about orgasmic birth? Well, I'd love for them to join us and positively prepare for birth. So we have pleasurable birth essentials. And really, we go deeper into sexuality and pleasure, but also all the basics of navigating 
our system, whether that's at home or birth center or a hospital, and learning lots of comfort and pleasure measures that you know many people have used and found really helpful. We have a podcast all about lots of things, sexual and healing. So listen to Orgasmic Birth and our documentary. I feel if people haven't seen it, it's a little bit older, but birth looks the same. And for many people, we hear all the time, just taking time to watch the film opened up their own discussions for themselves and their partner and maybe brought up new questions to think about with their caregiver to think about ways that they want to bring more intimacy to themselves and to their birth. But I would say in a broader sense, wherever you are, really take the time with each other. I hope after listening to our discussion today, really write down some of the things that came up for you and start exploring those stories. Start creating a pleasure practice and make sure that you're really opening those dialogues with your caregiver. And if you're feeling like, I can't talk to my doctor about that I might want to masturbate in labor. Well, if you can't talk to them about that now, how in the world are you going to do that in labor? And so if listening today and then you're saying, well, my caregiver would laugh at me on that, then maybe you need to consider if you need to find a different place and a different caregiver, because I believe these conversations need to happen in pregnancy. You need to be with people that are going to honor you and honor all the ways that you might want to approach birth and include all parts of you. So opening to birth is really a journey of deep inner discovery about many things and communicating that both with your partner so you're on the same page, but also so you have a care team that's fully going to honor and respect you, not only in pregnancy, but that's a key element to a pleasurable birth. We will make sure to add all of those resources that you just mentioned in our show notes so that people can easily find those wonderful resources. Thank you, Deborah. And any final thoughts that you have or tips that you'd like to leave our audience with? Well, can I tell a funny story? Yes, please. Right after I developed the film and released Orgasmic Birth as a documentary, I got a phone call from someone who said, will you be my orgasmic doula? And I had to laugh and say, well, that's not on me. That's on you, right? I'll hold space. But what you do with that space is yours. So she was planning a home birth and midwife and I met her at a home birth visit. We asked her, you know, is there anything you want us to know to better support you? And she said, well, I might be making a lot of sounds in labor. And we said, oh, we love that. Like, right? Birth sounds. They're like, primal and amazing, and it just helps you open to birth. And I was like, yes. And she said, well, my sounds might be a little different. And I thought, yes, everybody's unique. And I love our uniqueness. I love that they're all different. And no, mine will really be different. You've never heard them. And I thought, okay, well, why don't you give it a try? Like, if you have a sound you think that you'll be making— I'd love to hear it now if you want to like. And she went, and I laughed and I was like, you're right. And she said, come on over here. And she opened a draw and they threw her a vibrator party to get all her friends to get ready for this orgasmic birth. And she had like her own mini little store going on there of like every possible vibrator. And so in labor, it was the first birth I was at as a doula where if she used a vibrator on her clitoris on the outside, nothing inside everyone when you're in labor and that, especially if you're water released, she was making all kinds of sounds of complete ecstasy and joy. And when she didn't use it, she felt pain. And it was the first time I really saw someone that could really ride pain or pleasure and like really make that choice. She really knew. So that was the beginning for me of now I tell all my clients vibrators aren't for everyone, but it's certainly something to consider to have in your birth bag wherever you're going to birth. But it got funnier because I told that story in my next childbirth class and I forgot to say that it should be a little kind of, we want small vibrators that are clitoral vibrators. This is not the time for those big dildo vibrators. We're not putting something in. 
Well, I didn't say it. And one of my couples, I come as their doula to the hospital and they have one of those huge rabbit vibrators that's like this big dildo and it makes this sound and kind of goes all right right and i came in and they're like do you think we should use it now and i was like oh no like that's the wrong kind i should have said you want like a little one maybe you're better with your own fingers or whatever you and your partner want to use so she goes okay and she set it on top of the fetal monitor And now every time the staff came in, they'd go to look at the monitor and they couldn't because like there was this big vibrator. And at one point, the doctor came in and said, I think we should maybe think about speeding this labor up a little Pitocin. And she just on her own grabbed that vibrator, turned it on. It started doing the and the doctor couldn't even talk. He got so embarrassed. He left the room. And I followed him out because I looked at them and said, well, now don't use that vibrator, but you've got your own tricks to get your own oxytocin going. And I'll keep him out for a while and give you a little time. And I thought, now I say to people, get a little finger one for you and a big one because it clears the room if you want privacy. That doctor was stunned. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't talk. He didn't come back in for the longest time. They never got Pitocin. They got their own labor going. And I never asked them what they did during that time, but they were smiling a lot when I came back in. So I think we have to get comfortable to be uncomfortable, that we're having new conversations and we're thinking about birth in new ways. But really, they're amazing ways of really reclaiming birth and saying, who cares if your providers are uncomfortable that you want to masturbate? This is an amazing tool for pleasure in birth, and it certainly speeds labor. And as we said, gets for gentler bursts and less pain. Thank you for sharing that story. And for anyone who's listening to that story, if you feel uncomfortable or awkward, really sit with that and say, why? Why am I feeling uncomfortable with this? Because obviously that doctor was uncomfortable. And obviously that's just some inner work I think that we need to do to really take that taboo out of all of this. Because if if we're just trying to help get the baby out in a more pleasurable, gentler way, uh, so really sit with that if if that, you know, maybe is like, uh, I don't know. Well, think about that. Think about it a little bit more. So I appreciate you sharing that, Deborah. And also, where can our listeners find you? If they're like, oh my gosh, she's great. I need to find her. Where where can where can I go? So our orgasmic birth podcast is on all the platforms. So wherever you get your podcasts or orgasmic birth on YouTube and we're orgasmic birth everywhere. Follow us on Instagram. We've got tons of beautiful birth stories there or on Facebook or TikTok. You put in orgasmic birth and you'll find us. You'll find me. Oh, Deborah, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your knowledge and your, just like I said earlier, palpable passion and experience with us. It was just an honor. We're so appreciative. Oh, thank you so much, Nina. Truly an honor and pleasure. Thank you. And to everyone listening, I wish you pleasure wherever you are in a gentle, pleasurable, orgasmic birth. And for our listeners out there, as she said, to learn more about Deborah, you can find her online at orgasmicbirth.com or Instagram at orgasmicbirth. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comment section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to a positive and pleasurable birth.